Welcome to Dog Training Disrupted by Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Get a puppy, they said. It will be fun, they said. Well, puppies are undoubtedly cute and fun, so why do I not work with puppies? Well, in this episode, I talk about how puppy behavior and training is different to that of dogs over the age of six months and how their cognitive abilities are harnessed and applied differently. I refer to studies done by cognition experts to compare street dogs to dogs born into their sweet life in relation to harnessing their cognitive skills and how they use them. Mark Beckoff, American biologist, ethologist, behavioral ecologist, and writer, and the co-founder of Jane Goodall Institute of Ethologists for Ethical Treatment of Animals, recently shared with me in an email news about his newest book. So I talk a bit about that too. Stay tuned. And I'm the kind of girl can roll like a guy, but I really don't know. If you're ready for the ride, I'm champagne. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for over three decades. Let's hop into talking about puppies, which I never get to do. And that's because I only work with dogs over the age of six months. Why is that? Well, I get asked this question a lot. So puppies do have cognitive skills, meaning that they have memory and they have emotional intelligence and they can calculate and make decisions. The percentage of cognitive makeup in their brain is less than that of a dog over six months. So how they apply those cognitive skills is different. They commonly use their cognitive abilities in ways that make us happy. For example, they remember to pee outside because they got a reward for going outside and they correlate that. They remember that going into the crate gets them a treat and that they do get out of the crate. They can decide to lay down in the crate and they learn through socialization that people and dogs are good and fun. Occasionally, their behaviors are not what we hope for, such as nipping at our hands or our pant legs, which can be quite painful with their sharp little teeth. In most cases with puppies, they're not nipping because they are aggressive or that their brain is in a negative place. They're nipping because they're calculating how to get attention from us. So that is cognitive. Like I said, although it's unwanted behavior, it's not out of fear or aggression or dislike. They're happy. They just simply don't know that that behavior is wrong. So in this case, we can use standard conditioning methods to teach them right from wrong. Of course, you have to learn how to apply it correctly and one needs patience with puppies, but the method is the right one. We don't need cognitive behavioral therapy to address that behavior, even though the behavior stems from cognitive skills. And that's because we don't want to change their perception. We just need to change the behavior. We just simply need to teach them right from wrong using non-aversive conditioning techniques. When a dog is in the adolescent stage, they may, but not all dogs, but they may do similar behavior, such as jumping around us and barking in our face to get attention. The difference is they know this behavior is unwanted and they're doing it knowing it will annoy us. Not all dogs, but let's take that example. And they also know that we have a little ability to do anything about it. Reactive reinforcements are no longer effective because they know right from wrong. And by giving them that attention of a reactive reinforcement, they're essentially getting what they want. And that's when you know you need to switch to CBT. So you may remember an earlier episode where I talk about hiding a ball in a cupboard in order to end playtime. 
Doing this is easier when a dog is under six months because we can use standard conditioning methods. We can also use distraction uh, by throwing a treat down the hallway and then by the time they get back, they forgot the ball was there. But a dog over six months uh, will not be, often will not take to that because they don't really want the treat. They want the ball. They know the ball is in the cupboard. When they return, they still try to get the ball, even if they go to get the treat at all. And that's because of object permanence, memory, and calculating, which are cognitive skills. So in that case, we would need to apply cognitive behavioral therapy, even though essentially, once again, the behavior that they're displaying is the same. The reason for it is different. A street dog may have learned that barking and lunging at a dog keeps that dog away. So it went barking and lunging at another street dog. That might be done as protection if they have a scrap of food that they found on the street. It might be done for protection on themselves. Then when they get adopted and their new person takes them for a walk and they see a dog, they may lunge and bark. And that's because this is a learned behavior. And in their mind, it's the right behavior to do. It's kept them alive and it's just what they've always done. Reinforcements to encourage the right behavior or alternatively reinforcements to discourage the unwanted behavior, whether that's done through positive correction or otherwise, they can often be ineffective because the dog doesn't necessarily want to change his mind. Those methods don't change perception. They teach right from wrong or essentially encourage and discourage right from wrong, which I talk about more so in uh, season one of this podcast. If a dog is barking because they don't know right from wrong or they they don't feel it's a threat, they're just wanting to be happy and they just want to go see the dog, sometimes conditioning methods can work as well as cognitive behavioral therapy because we are changing perception. Counter conditioning can also change perception. It first changes behavior, which then changes perception because counter conditioning uses reactive reinforcements to change behavior, which change perception. So if you have a dog that's barking and lunging because they want to get to a dog to play, you could possibly use either method. And that is often decided on by the dog because One may work and one may not. So the behaviors could be similar, but the reason for the behavior determines the best method, along with the preference of the individual dog. I do not commonly work with puppies because the best method for puppies, unless it is true aggression or anxiety, the best method is commonly conditioning methods, and I just don't do those. As with many professions, we have our specialties, and it's important for dog trainers to recognize the need to educate potential clients on why perhaps their skill set and area of expertise is not correlative to the needs of their client. For example, trainers who teach agility or scent detection, those types of jobs or hobbies or activities Uh, They're reaching the cognitive side of the brain, as does canine enrichment. But that's different than applying cognitive skills and harnessing those cognitive skills to address behavioral issues. I've recently been in touch with Sarah Biosier, who is the director of Thinking Dog Center, which is a leading organization on the studies of dog cognition, and she's an assistant professor at Hunter College. She noted how puppies who are exposed to canine enrichment and activities or games that harness those cognitive skills are more likely to use those skills as they mature. I had previously listened to a talk that Sarah had done, and she was talking about how she noticed that puppies who are exposed to canine enrichment activities or games that use cognitive skills are more likely to use those skills as they mature. 
And this reminds me of my studies that I've done with street dogs and community dogs in Mexico and Costa Rica and from the reserves in northern Canada. So based on the hundreds of dogs I have rescued and work with, I find that dogs who have survived on the streets, which they are employing cognitive skills to do so, they will more likely use those cognitive skills on their own when they're adopted. Puppies who lived on the streets are are quicker to develop these skills, and that's a lot what Sarah was saying as well. So whether they're introduced to uh, cognitive challenges from games or activities or just from a lifestyle that forces them to use their cognitive skills, it seems to be beneficial as they mature and explains why upper dogology is effective with dogs with checkered pass and in addressing behaviors which stem from cognitive thinking. So if you've listened to episode one of this podcast or read chapter one of my book, you know I learned my methodology from dogs. And it all makes sense because they are using their cognitive skills and I'm harnessing it. The increase in dog cognition and canine enrichment studies means that dogs born into good homes are being encouraged to think cognitively. People are just naturally, I think people always naturally played games and did activities with their dogs, but it's, it's, they're more aware, I guess, of what they're doing and they're reaching those cognitive places and they're providing options. And so when it comes to addressing behavior in dogs over six months, these same people, trainers and dog experts, they revert back to conditioning methods. That's a problem. But they're doing that because they don't know how to apply cognitive behavioral therapy to work with these dogs. And the dogs know it. As my loyal listeners and clients know, I'm not disputing the success of conventional non-aversive techniques. It's simply that conditioning methodologies do not rely on harnessing those cognitive skills in order to address behaviors. If we revert back to conditioning methods, we're not harnessing those skills enough that it makes sense to dogs If we do not recognize the innate survival skills of dogs and their ability to learn how to achieve their goal with or without humans, we will not be able to effectively bond with them and work with them. Which brings me to my final note. Mark Beckoff sent me an email about his newest book, A Dog's World. Imagine the life of dogs in a world without humans. I'm so excited to read this book because it talks about cognitive skills and emotional intelligence and dogs' ability to think for themselves. I won't say any more, but I suggest reading it. His book is yet another resource that validates the need for both methodologies. One's grounded in conditioning methods and cognitive behavioral therapy. We need them both in mainstream dog training. As much as I love puppies, the reason I do not work with them is because conditioning methods, in particular positive reinforcement training, is the best way to work with puppies, and I'm simply not interested in doing puppy training using positive reinforcement training. There's many good trainers who enjoy it. I'm full-time busy with what I do, and it's rewarding, and it's needed. If you would like more info on the difference between the methodologies, you can listen to season one of this podcast. But also I feel the interview I recently had with the Dog Podcast Network. So I was a guest on their podcast, which is also YouTube. It actually dives deep into what I do. And uh, the, the host, James, he really pushes the issue and it makes for an informative and an in-depth interview. So it's, as I said, on YouTube and it's part of their Dog Lovers Live Summer Series, which highlights dog podcasts. 
And the link to this is in the show notes of this episode. So I'm just going to go back to the topic of books for one more second. Mine is currently going through a second edition. Uh, changing the cover, I'm including quotes from industry leaders and veterinarians uh, who quoted about my book. And it also won the 2019 American Best Book Fest Award for Pets Narrative Nonfiction. So I'm putting that on the cover. I wasn't intending to revise the inside material so much but I did also receive some negative feedback, and these are from positive reinforcement trainers, which is not, it's not really a shocker there. And their, their feedback was that I don't know about dog training because the book doesn't talk about positive correction or positive punishment. As most of my listeners know, I do not use either of those simply because cognitive behavioral therapy does not rely on reinforcements. And since the book is about my experience, my journeys, and on cognitive behavioral therapy, that information is not included. However, I do always listen to feedback. So in the second edition, I did include more information on canine cognitive behavioral therapy, how it is different from conditioning methods, as well some more info on puppy cognition. So I do talk a little bit about positive correction and positive punishment in it, it's not the point of the book, and it's not what I do, but I felt that by getting that out there, it acknowledges that I do feel that non-aversive methods in the conditioning platform are absolutely necessary in mainstream dog training. So at this point, I have episodes coming out once a month, but I am going to throw in some additional episodes between those monthly ones, and these are going to be interviews with professionals in different fields. To keep updated on when those are coming out, please follow Upper Dogology on Instagram. And there's also lots of really great client reels and information. I'm starting to provide more information on my Instagram, so please follow me there. And uh, Facebook is Upper Dogology. I'm also on LinkedIn. That's Billy Groom. And on Twitter, it's Upper Dogology. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review and please share it. If you have questions, you can email me at billy at upperdogology.com. Thanks again to the musicians who donated their music clips. In this episode, we have Brian John Harwood and Danielle Bourgeau. As always, enjoy your learning journey. Yeah, I wish I could hear what you're thinking. You can't say the words, but buddy, I'm listening. Just know that I'll never stay mad. You're still my good boy.